Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Well, are there any art experts in the house today? Anyone that would consider themselves a art expert? Well, good. I'll be able to fool everybody in here. That's great. Great. I want to talk to you today about the most famous painting in the world. Now, anyone want to guess what the most famous painting in the world is? Anyone want to guess? Hey, some of you are smarter than you give yourself credit for. Mona Lisa. Let's look at that just for a moment. The Mona Lisa. Of course, that's Leonardo da Vinci's most famous painting. This is the reason I believe it's the most famous. Each year... This three-foot-by-two-foot painting draws over six million people to visit her hanging on the wall in the Louvre in France. So the question is, is that this painting that is so intrigued the world is all the mystery that surrounds her. People want to know, who was she? Why was she painted? What's she smiling about? Is she really smiling at all? There are so many questions about this lady, and one of the reasons she's so intriguing is because this lady that Leonardo da Vinci painted is shrouded in mystery. And, of course, there's a lot of questions that, unfortunately, Mona Lisa will never answer. And experts you can read about add, uh, to the point that you're sick to your stomach about people who tried to theorize who she was, who she is, and all of these things. Experts, they have searched every square inch of this painting trying to get clues as to the mystery of who she is. But of course, Mona Lisa, she just sits there with her Mona Lisa smile, as uh, Nat King Cole used to sing about. But today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about another picture. And the picture that I want to talk to you about today, there's Mona. Hey, Mona, how you doing? But today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about, about another picture. And this time, the picture is not on oil and not on canvas, but it's on ink and parchment. What I want to do today is I want to show you a picture with words of the Gospel of Luke. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Luke chapter 23. And what I want us to do is we look at this picture that Luke paints for us with ink and words on parchment is he's going to describe one of the most significant events in the history of the world. The crucifixion of Jesus. So let's go to Luke chapter 23 and let's begin at verse 44 and we'll read all the way through verse 49. Hear the word of the Lord. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us this glorious moment, where as we just sang about through 
the words of the song, Jesus Messiah, the whole earth trembled, the veil was torn. And here, Father, on this day, on this little corner of the earth, we get to feel the aftershock of the earthquake that shook the world on that day. We get to celebrate our life in You sending the Son to save us. So, Father, I pray that in these moments that follow during this sermon, as we tune our hearts, as we tune our minds, as we engage with Your Scripture, may we hear Your voice speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. I wonder this morning, can't you see it in your mind? Can't you see what Luke is telling us in your mind? The sun going dark. Darkness covering everywhere that you can see for three hours. Now we all experienced in 2017 that wonderful eclipse, right? That won't happen again for a few years. And we were all amazed at the seconds that the sky was dark and the eerie feeling that you had. Could you just imagine what it must have been like on this day when the sun was darkened for three hours? And then Luke takes us away from that scene and he he shifts the attention over to the temple. And he tells us that the temple was torn from top to bottom. And then all of a sudden Luke takes us from the temple back to the cross. And then from the cross we hear the voice of our Lord mustering all the strength that he has to give one final cry from the cross. It makes me think of that African-American spiritual that asks, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And this morning I wonder, as we see this picture of the crucifixion with Luke, does it cause us to tremble? Tremble. Tremble. Let's look a little closer. What I want to do today is I want to look at the details so that we can know what it is we're looking at. If you'd never heard of Mona Lisa, you would probably look at that painting and think, what's the big deal? I don't want you to do that with this text today. I want us to know what it is that we're looking at so we can enjoy the beauty of what God has given us. Listen, this right here is the most significant moment in history. And because of the magnificence of Holy Scripture, God has frozen this moment in time for us so that we can come back and look upon it. We can open our Bibles and and see it. All that God has done for us. And let's just not be passers-by this morning. Let's just not look at this as if we're looking at Christmas presents in the window and walk by. Let's get close. Let's examine every detail. And listen, what we're going to see is we're not only going to see a portrait of Christ on a cross. What we're going to see is a self portrait. And listen, if you're just content this morning with merely passing by, like viewing these Christmas presents in a window, you will never know yourself. And even more important than never knowing yourself, listen, you will never know Christ. And so let's dig in a little bit. And so at this point in in our series, and this is week six, there's one more week to go. And we've been laying a a massive amount of groundwork also that we could get to this one moment. And I hope that by this point, after everything that's come, for those of you who've been persistent, for those of you who've been here, for those of you who's caught up online, whatever the case may be, 
I hope that by this point, when we come and read this passage, everything that we've said before begins to click. Because when you look at a painting for the first time, you, you notice certain things. Can you put up Mona Lisa one more time, maybe? When you look at the Mona Lisa for the first time, maybe you, the first thing you notice is the way she's dressed. Maybe you notice her hair. Maybe you notice her smile. One may start by trying to figure out what on earth is the background? Where is she sitting? And after you see that, you may not even notice that her hands are crossed in front of her. You notice all of these different things. And now what I want you to do is I want you to look at the picture that's, that's before you. Look at the picture in your hands. Look at the picture that Luke is painting on ink and parchment. There's one thing, hopefully by this point, because I've been preparing you as your pastor for weeks and weeks during this whole series called Christ and the Temple. Hopefully there's one detail of what we read here that leaps out of the page. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Do you see that? We're at the cross. We're looking around. We're seeing the sky turn dark. And all of a sudden Luke takes us out, takes us to the temple, shows us a veil, that that veil that represented the sky with all the colors of the sky being rent from top to bottom. And then he takes us right back to the cross. What is he doing? Remember through this whole series, I've made the point to tell you that Luke is uh, writing his entire gospel, bookending it with, with the temple. He starts in the temple, he ends in the temple, and right here, the most significant moment in history, the temple is close to Luke's mind. Why would Dr. Luke add these details? Because he wants us to have a complete picture of the work of God that's accomplished for us. And to understand the crucifixion, You have to understand the temple. And that's the reason why we've come so far. Some of you may have been wondering, why don't you show us all the chart and all the pictures, so that when we came to this moment, we would understand what it means. So that when we came to this moment where Luke takes us and says the veil of the temple was, it'd leap off in our minds and we'd say, aha, now it makes sense. Now I understand the Bible. Now I understand what Luke has been doing. And so this morning, I want to teach you Christ. But the Christ that I want to teach you is not just any Christ. The Christ that I want us to learn together is the Christ according to the Scriptures. And the only way that you'll learn of this Christ is not from my ideas, not from your ideas, but by taking seriously and asking questions of this. And the major question that we're asking today is, why on earth would Luke take us from the scene of Golgotha on Calvary's hill to the temple and then back to the temple? Why would he tell us about the veil being torn? And so here's what I want to do this morning. Something a little different. The reason that it's a little different is because this entire series is different. What I'm trying to get you to do together, what we're trying to learn together, is for us to understand the whole Bible, to see how it all fits together. And so what we're doing is we're examining one little portion And then we come back and we look at it again and then another little portion until all of a sudden the whole picture prayerfully by the end of next week, the whole picture should become clear because every time we come close, we get a a cross section of a painting. Now we're stepping back. We see more of a picture. Now we step back. The picture is becoming more clear. Now we step back. The picture is becoming more clear until next week. Come back, please, because then by that time we're taking a big step back and we're seeing the whole picture as God intends it to be. So what I want to do today is I want to string together a few threads for us. These are selected passages from Scripture. 
I want them to come together so that we can take these passages and see every detail that Luke is trying to point out for us in Luke 23. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to show you what they are, and because of time, I don't have time. I'm already out of time before I started. But I want to show you these passages, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make three comments so that we can see the depths of Christ's love for us as well, so that we can see Jesus as the temple builder. So listen closely. The first one I want to give you is from John chapter 2. This is the first passage. John chapter 2. That's pretty early on in John, wouldn't you say? That's the second chapter. We're pretty early in John. Listen what happens here. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And listen to how Jesus answered. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But the Jews said to him, It has taken 46 years to build the temple, and you'll raise it in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So that's the first clue. The second clue, what we just read here in Luke twenty-three forty-five: the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Here's the next clue, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is after the resurrection. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came, and the resurrected Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, let's fast forward a little more. The fourth clue in Acts, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Another clue, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for we are God's fellow workers. Listen to this. You are God's field, God's building. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree to glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then the final reference that I want to give you today is in First Peter. Listen to what Peter says. As you come to him. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Before it stands in Scripture, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has 
become the cornerstone and a rock of stumbling, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. At one time you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Is any of that making sense yet? You say, why would you string those things together? You're going to have to help us. And thankfully, if you're asking that question, I'm here to help. I want us to understand this major theme that the Bible presents. Listen closely. Now, I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to say it to you. And then I'm going to unpack it in the time that we have left. Listen, here's the theme. Listen. The mandate that God gave Adam and Eve to multiply, fill the earth, Subdue the earth and have dominion. That mandate that was lost through willful and sinful rebellion. That presence of God that was forfeited. The standard that had fallen. The image of God that He stamped on humanity that had now been defaced. Listen, has now through Christ been reestablished taken up again and remade through the fires of God's judgment to shine the astounding beauty of God. So that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. As 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has, listen, listen to the Genesis language, For the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Tear down this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And at the crucifixion, darkness over the land, the veil of the temple torn. Jesus resurrected. Jesus giving a commission to His disciples. The question that we have to ask now is what kind of temple is God building? What kind of temple is God building? And I want to teach you three truths about the kind of temple that God is building. Number one, the temple that God is building is a temple not made by human hands. A temple that's not made by human hands. J.I. Packer, in his masterpiece, Knowing God. By the way, if you're thinking about reading a book this year... Some of you in Oxford, we've already read it together. I recommend Knowing God more than I recommend any book to you this year. Read it if you haven't read it. J.I. Packer, in his masterpiece, Knowing God, says this. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective. Something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, more compelling goal can there be than to know God? What higher, more compelling goal can there be than to 
know God. And listen, we know this because God's told us. God has determined not only to make Himself known, but has determined for us to know Him. And how on earth do we know Him? The only way for us to know Him is through the Son. And who is the Son? We just confessed it together in the Nicene Creed. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the Word of the Father. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Who has come for our sake and our salvation. That's why He's come. The only way that we can know God is through the Son. So the presence that has been lost by Adam and Eve in the garden, the presence that was but a shadow in the temple has now come to dwell amongst us. And this is what makes Christmas so extravagant. This is why we celebrate it by doing little crazy things like making the world look different by putting lights on your house. Let me just say this. I love riding by people's houses and seeing Christmas trees. Don't you love that in the time? Looking, especially, uh, I don't know if you rode down Floyd Street, some of them big pretty houses, you know, big old columns. You look at some of those, there that's Christmas tree in all white lights, right? I love seeing that. I don't know anything about who lives there. I don't even know. They may be your great greatest aunt, cousin. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me, but I look and I make a judgment. I do on that house. And you know what I say? That person's celebrating Christmas. Why don't we do those things? Why don't we do these crazy things? Why don't we discombobble our lives? Because this is what Christ has done. He has come to make all things new in Himself. This is what Christmas is all about. It's this God who the presence had been lost. We were all living in hope. Just hope. That's all we had was hope of this God who was coming. Now, through the sending of the Son, He has made His presence among us. How's He done that? Listen, by pouring His presence into our hearts. And that's Romans 5.5. At the end of Isaiah, listen, I love the end of Isaiah. Remember how we, we talked about Isaiah starts with saying that I don't delight in your sacrifices, your festivals, all of these things are unpleasant to me. He basically said that the temple was irrelevant, worthless, because it had been taken advantage of. And then at the end of Isaiah, what God does is He reveals this marvelous truth to His people. A truth that redirects their focus to what God had intended all along. Listen to what He says. Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would make for me? What's the place of my rest? God's asking a question. Where am I going to dwell? What's the house that you would make for me? And then listen to the answer. All these things my hand had made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But listen to the next phrase. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles in my word. God's intention for Israel was not to build a temple. God's intention was to build a people. Not just any people. A people who would display His glory. So now the question is, how would they display His glory? Listen, they would display His glory by having a heart who beats to do the will of God. A heart ready to obey. A heart that delights in obedience, not dutifully, but with delight. And you say, what is His will? If God wants us to have a heart beating to do His will, what's His will? Well, listen to it. It's in the Shema. 
You know what the Shema is, right? We call it the Shema because that's the first word in, in the Hebrew. Shema Israel, Elohim Eduhinu. It is, hear, O Israel, Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then listen to what it says at the end. Don't miss this. And these words that I command you today in Deuteronomy 6, 4 will be on your heart. How's it going to be on their heart? In Ezekiel it tells us God takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. You know what a heart of stone doesn't do? It doesn't beat. It doesn't do anything. Do you know what a heart of flesh does? Put your hand on your chest. you know what it does? You feel that? You used to call it a ticker, right? It's beaten. God remakes His people so that we will now delight in doing His will. Jesus had a conversation one time. This was His mission. He had a conversation one time in the shadow of the temple with a young Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. It was in the middle of the night. I love this. It's in the middle of the night. That's important, but I can't tell you why. Jesus said to an inquiring Nicodemus, You must be born again. You must be remade. Now, what does that mean? Well, if we've been paying attention, that's John chapter 3. Well, we, we've gotten there, right? We, we know what John said in the beginning. John's already told us what Jesus meant when he said... You must be born again to Nicodemus because John chapter 1 says this, the true light, by the way, when did Nicodemus come? He came in the night. So he says in the prologue, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own people and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, what did he do? He gave the right to become children of God. Then look at this next phrase. Who were born. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. What did John say? People who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. God is building a people. He's making a people. But what kind of people? It's a redeemed people. It's a blood-bought people. It's a Spirit-filled people. That's what kind of people. And so, at the death of Jesus, the curtain of the temple separating the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt, was torn from top to bottom. What does this mean? It, It meant that now man could have access with God and God could have access with men. What it was that separated us from Him was now absolved, taken care of, because God had sent His Son Jesus to the cross to absolve our sins, to take, as Colossians says, the written ordinances that were against us and absolving them, nailing them to His cross. So this presence of God was soon to be released in a way that had never been experienced before. Joel talked about it. The Spirit of God coming amongst men. And on the day of Pentecost, the disciples of Jesus received the Spirit. And do you remember what we read about the details of that reception? There were cloven, if you have the old King James, cloven tongues of fire above their heads. Why? In Exodus 40-34, God's glory filled the temple with fire. And in 2 Chronicles 7-1, God's Presence filled the temple with fire. 
And now in Acts chapter 2, after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, the Spirit of God fills the disciples and the sign above each one of them is what? Fire. You see, the temple that Jesus is building is, is not one that's made by human hands. The temple that Jesus is building is a temple built by the Father through the Son and the Spirit. And because Jesus declared from that cross before He gave up the ghost, before He hung His head and died, He said, it is finished. Which is our second point this morning. This new temple that God is building is a temple that will never lose the flame of glory. The temple that God is building is a temple whose flame of glory will never be extinguished. The mandate that God gave Adam and Eve has been given to us now through the Son. It's been reworked, remade. Everything that Jesus does, His whole life is retelling the story of the Old Testament. His entire life is telling the story of the Old Testament. Even as He's baptized, it's just like He goes down to the same waters that the people in the Exodus came through. And this time, this Jesus is standing on the banks of the river. John looks at Him and He says, There's the One who's going to lead us into a new Exodus. There's the One who's going to come and redeem us. The mandate that God gave Adam and Eve has now been given to us through the Son. What did He tell us to do? Go and make disciples. What did He say? All authority has now been given to me, and so go and build temples, He says. Go through the earth and establish My presence in the hearts of men by declaring the power of the Gospel unto salvation. Adam and Eve were told to fill the earth with a certain type of people. A people who were not dominated, but a people who dominate. A people who were victorious and not defeated. A people who worship and obey. And after the resurrection, Jesus comes to His disciples. Some of them still doubt. And what does He do? He tells them to go fill the earth with a message. Go cover the earth with a message. A message of salvation. Fill the earth with a knowledge. That Jesus saves. Followers of Jesus are to glorify God by being witnesses who make disciples through teaching and baptism. Listen, evangelism is not just about soul winning. Evangelism is about filling the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. That's what it's about. It's about us multiplying, filling the earth. The old way, Adam and Eve, they were to fill the earth, of course, by procreation. They had a lot, of, a lot of sons. We only know about three of them. They had a lot of daughters. Well, we don't know about any of them. But he obviously had, who was Cain's wife? Well, those kind of questions. You had to, they had more children than what we know. And now, this God has given us a mandate to fill the earth. But the way that we fill the earth now is not by procreation. It's by evangelism. The way that we make sons and daughters of God now is through evangelism. We have this unquenchable flame of God's glory. And listen, we get to take that flame, that unquenchable flame of God's glory to the ends of the earth. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. Now, if you know anything about the book of Corinthians, then you know that these people are troubled. 
They're wanting to sue one another. They're, they're promiscuous. They go visit the, the temple of the prostitute and they go and do all kind of things. you got a, a, a man who's committing a, a lewd acts of licentiousness with his mother-in-law. All of the, they, they are a troubled people. But Paul opens the letter to the Corinthians and calls them saints. That may mess some of your theologies up, but that's okay. That's what the Bible tends to do. We always want to be under its authority. He calls this troubled but triumphant church, he calls them God's building. And then he says to them that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in them. But here's the kicker. The word that Paul uses for temple in 1 Corinthians 3 is not Heron, but nails. You say, what's the big deal, Pastor? I don't know Greek. Let me teach you. Here's why it matters. The word Heron is the word for temple. The word naos is the word for holy of holies. God says to them, you are the holy of holies. You are the very place where the presence of God dwells. Put these two strands together in your mind. God's Spirit left the temple of the Old Testament. Simeon, holding baby Jesus, and looks into the eyes of baby Jesus and says, I have seen salvation. John then says, we have seen the glory of God in the incarnation of the Son. Jesus ascends, and as He is ascending, He says, I am with you always. How on earth is Jesus with us always if He's in heaven? A few days later, The disciples were hiding behind closed doors. They found out how Jesus was going to be with them. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the living God, came and dwelt in them to never leave them. You say, how could this be? How could the Spirit of God dwell with men? How could He... Were they sinless? Listen, the disciples weren't sinless, no more than we're sinless, but all their sins... All your sins, all my sins, past, present, and future have been taken away because of Jesus. And because of Christ that has set us free, we by faith can now confidently say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We now can say that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All because His love has been poured out into our hearts. I love this picture. As Jesus was ascending... The disciples were looking at Him. Their eyes were lingering. Their necks were starting to hurt. They were looking as Jesus drifted further and further away into the clouds. You can't even see Him anymore. They're still looking. And all of a sudden, these angels appear. And they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. You say, where were those angels? How could they say such a thing? Were they right in saying that? Well, those angels, they weren't saying anything that Jesus hadn't already said. Remember what Jesus told the disciples just a few days before? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again to take you to myself. And then what does he say? That where I am, 
That's where you're going to be. For how long? Just to spend the night? Just to spend the week? Always. Always. And listen, I know some of you, because it's Christmas, maybe you've got friends and family at your house that you wish that, you know, those days would go ahead and come on, you know, go ahead and get back to where you need to go. And those kind of days when we're in glory, we'll never grow tired of being where we are. Because we will be forever with the Lord. Forever. Number three this morning, the temple that Jesus is building is a temple that will last forever. It's a temple where the people of God will forever be in His presence and His glory will be amongst us. I heard just the other day someone say that they weren't excited about heaven because heaven is going to be so boring. If that's what you think about heaven, then you don't know Jesus. If that's what you think about heaven, if that's the picture that you have of heaven, of people strumming harps and eating grapes and whatever else may be, if that's the picture that you have of Jesus, I encourage you to read the last book and we'll be there next week in Revelation and see the picture. How could we grow weary of enjoying the most extravagant thing that our life has ever seen? How could we grow weary of being forever, keeping eternal festival at the place where angels trod? How could we grow weary of seeing His face in all of His glory? Do you see this morning? Do you see this great confidence that we have? as we read our Bibles and we look at one little solitary glimpse of this veil that was torn. Luke, taking us from the crucifixion to the temple and then back to the crucifixion again. Do you see what Luke has masterfully done? The message of the Bible, you see? Every detail matters. Because from that we know that God is building a temple that's, that's not made with human hands. That means that the flame will never go out of His glory. And it's a temple where, where we will be with Him forever. God has done something incredible for us. Listen. He has made Himself known. And given us the capacity by His grace to know Him. If He had not have made Himself known we would have never known Him. And if He would not have redeemed us by His grace and did all that He did to be able to say, I will never leave you, and then pour His Spirit into our hearts and then command us to walk by the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, we could never know Him. J.I. Packer was right. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective. Something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this you and I have as Christ followers, we have in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? And how on earth can we know God? Only through Jesus which Jesus? This one. You know what this book tells us about Jesus? Oh, so many things. But one of the things that it tells us is that this Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. You can only know God through Jesus, the temple builder. You see, His kingdom is imperishable, undefiled, and kept for those of us who, by faith, 
Love Him. And let me say this to you this morning. He who began a good work in you, He will complete it. God has never started a project that He didn't complete, that He didn't end up... Even you, brother, even you, sister, even me. You're not a hard enough case for Him. He's been chasing you, pursuing you, loving you, waiting for the day to woo you back to Himself. He can make the dead live. Make something out of nothing. You're not too difficult for Him. He'll outlast you. S.M. Lockridge used to say, you can't outlive Him and you can't live without Him. That's Jesus. There's only two options. You can either be with Him or you can be apart from Him. Listen, I don't say that flippantly. Anyone who is not a part of His kingdom will be forever separated from Him in eternal place of torment called hell. But for those who by faith love Him, those who have received His grace by faith, there is a forever waiting for you with God. So the question that you have to ask this morning as we look at 2018 that's coming is, where will you be? Will you be with the Lord? Is He right now, can you feel His work in your life constraining you to do His will? Is He forming you into the image of the Son? Listen, don't just be an onlooker to this wonderful thing we call the Christian life. Don't just be a passerby. Come in the house. Put your feet up. And find everything that you could ever want or need. There was a nursery song that I was taught as a boy. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. This God who has moved heaven and earth intends to finish what he starts. He will have His way. And I pray that you are part of that way and not standing in His way. He is going to build this temple. A temple purchased by His own precious blood. Would you pray with me today? Father, in Jesus' name, thank You for loving us, for going to such great heights, depths and the greatest length to save us from heaven Lord you came and sought us to make us your very own and with your precious blood you have bought us my prayer today is for everyone within the sound of my voice that they would be able to confidently say this God in heaven is working in me to accomplish all that He desires. He said He would never leave me. He said He would never forsake me. I believe in Him. I trust in Him. I give everything that I am, any good that I have, all the evil that I have, I give it all to Jesus. May they say that to you right now. Maybe some for the first time. May you fill all of us today with the warmth May we feel today the aftershock of that day that shook the earth. 
when Jesus hung his head, said it is finished, and the veil of the temple was torn. In Jesus' name we trust you. All of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.